an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginners' all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match, and programming was the fuse, as the infinite possibilities of the the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Hi, this is Jeff Fulton. This is Steve Fulton. And welcome to Season 3, Episode 17 of Into the Vertical Blank, Generation Atari. Our top 50 favorite games from Atari. Episode 50. 50. Episode 50. I never thought we'd get to 10. Yeah, well, we got to 50. We got to 50. In fact, uh, we've done almost 20 of them this year. I think we'll probably end up with 20 at the end of the year, by the end of the year, as we go to monthly, limping into the end of the year. Yeah, as we go to monthly, uh, we probably end up with 20 by the end of the year. Maybe a little, maybe one extra or two extra in there somewhere. We'll see. So what is this episode about, Jeff? This episode is about our top 50 favorite games made by Atari across any platform. And we, it's not the best ones because we are not the judges of the best and we have not played every game on all Atari platforms, but we've played games on every Atari platform and we just wanted to get out our top 50 favorites and the reasons why. So the way we compiled the list was we each made a list of our favorite 50 and then we numbered them one to 50 and then number one got 50 points, number 50 got one point. And then we put them together and we scored them together. And we have a bunch of honorable mentions and a bunch of in our top 50 list. And then we're going to read them in backwards order and then talk about them. So just for fans of all Atari systems, we do mention every single Atari game system in here because we have favorites across them all. That includes the 2600, 7800, 5200, Atari ST, Atari 800, XL, XE, Jaguar, and Lynx. So we have favors across them all because we have well, owned the arcade, and played them all. And the arcade. And the PC, and PC games. And even PC games. That's right. Not too many PC games, so don't jump off too quick. Yeah, um, just a couple. Just a couple. Okay, let's get into that part of the episode right now, Steve. Cool. My Atari STE sound is on the blink. It sounds like someone's rattling a chain inside of it. That sucks. That's, a, that's like a four hundred dollar paperweight. Well, you can um, you you bought me one for Xmas. You can you can use the one I have for now because I'm not going to use it. Oh, I might do. Let me look into it first and see if I can get it to work. But okay. yeah, I might I might borrow it from you. 
I need it for yeah, the Yeah, you can borrow it for now because I'm going to have to put it away. I'm trying to go as, as lean as possible. I know I don't blame you. Retro stuff. It's just too much around. There's too much stuff around and it makes it hard. And I have a lot of stuff. I want to spend my time building games and stuff, which makes it really hard. I was thinking like just having a, a laptop that emulates it might be the best way to do it. I, this is what I'm thinking. You uh, cast it to the TV or something. Although the, the latency might not be good enough if you cast it to the TV. Maybe. I mean, it might be fine. <laughs> it might be fine. Um, okay, let me um, let me what find. Been, uh, what have you been um, uh, watching lately? Me on TV, um, the um, Perry Mason and the Alienist. What's the Alienist? Um, it would be really disturbing for you. It's like <laughs> every episode is like the first episode of um, of uh, Perry Mason. Perry Mason. Because it's like set in the late 1800s in New York, and the alienist is a is what they called people who would study the mentally ill. He's actually trying to solve crimes that way. I can't even describe it to you without you having nightmares about it. So I'm not going to so, say it. So I, I skipped Perry Mason. Perry Mason is fantastic. I'm so happy that show came on there because it's just so well acted and everything. And yeah, good. It looks good. really good. I'll tell you what. So I got Peacock thing for free where do you put it what's it on it's on my apple tv oh okay yeah okay i don't have it's it's free and apparently there's on the history channel or travel channel i don't know one of those that's now no longer what it's supposed to be there's called project blue book which is oh yeah that's history like perry mason they have this ability now to do period pieces really well because they combine actual physical sets with those virtual sets like they do in the Mandalorian. So you Mm -hmm. get like, you get really rich TV shows for not cheap, but not that expensive. And so the, the actual set in the forties and fifties and the visuals are really good, but like, it's, it's kind of meatheady. Like it's kind of like CSI does project blue book. I wanted to it's like watch dumb that. X Files. It's, it's like dumb X Files, right? Although like they're trying to follow like real X-Files. cases or something like that. Yeah, it, and there, but there's like a conspiracy, and none of the actors are are just okay. The lead guy who's like in in the military who doesn't believe any of this crap or whatever. Um, <laughs> he's just one of those standard CBS like crime drama square jawed like jock guys and. It's almost no charisma, and so the problem is, and and the and the guy the guy who plays the professor, who's his secondary guy, like the guy who who kind of believes is trying to like figure stuff out. He's just okay enough to to make it work. It's a dumb X Files. Like it's it's got a conspiracy. It's got kind of weirdness, but just not stylistically too um, straightforward to work. It's good. It's interesting. So I'm watching it because there's wanted, nothing else to watch. That was one that I started, I watched like one or two episodes of because it would come on after the other shows on history. And um, I haven't watched any, I, I watched a couple that I didn't finish it. So we are talking about this time, our top 50 games made by Atari for any system, including arcade. 
and why we do we do that because this technically is the 50th episode let's just it, say it's this, our 50th there's episode. only 49 in the thing and this will be the 49th because i took one of them out because we need to kind of redo it and actually there's another one i want to take out the thanksgiving one from last year the audio is just dreadful so i'm i feel like i'm going to re-record it while we're on our hi- hiatus well technically though ready. technically though this is the 50th episode Technically, this is the 50th episode, and so because of that, we decided to talk about our top 50 games. Our favorite ones, because it, it could go in many different orders. It's from the games that we've played that Atari has made. So Atari topic. made them, or they released them on their label that said Atari on it. Because there were more than 50, do you want to quickly go through the honorable mentions we're gonna cool yeah, why don't you read in. off the list of honorable mentions that go down to number 51 okay go ahead so in I will reverse start order in reverse order 73 were the atari st games in the uk game pack that were packaged with the stfm and stes these were arkanoid 2 revenge of doe buggy boy akari warriors xenon anarchy Blood Money, and Star Glider. No game that Atari actually made, but they were sold with an Atari label in Atari Machine. Okay. What are, what are, what are a great pack of games, by the way? Yeah. It's one, <laughs> one reason why like no, people bought them and it made retailers mad because people weren't buying any more games when they got that, plus a bunch of other games in it. And there are a bunch of those packs, too. Okay. 72, Real Sports Volleyball on the VCS. 71, Pele Soccer on the VCS. 70, Night Driver, Arcade and VCS. 69, Paperboy, the arcade game. But there also was a great Lynx version. Number 68, Quantum Arcade. Number 67, and it's funny that it's way up here, but it's Ball Blazer, and it was released by Atari on the XEGS, the 7800. It's up here because I actually technically never played it when it was out. Oh, I played it. It's great. But that's fine. Um, these are ours. These aren't other people. Some people might have that as number one. But these are just ours based on what you and I voted. We numbered them. And this is just where they came out. So right. just a, a chance to name off a whole we bunch of awesome made names. made our by. own list, and then we scored them. So the number one got 50 points, and the 50th one got one point. Right. And then these are the ones that somehow... You know, I get rated high or you rated low or did not get enough points. Right. So, number 65, Choplifter on the 5200, 7800, and the XE game system. Number 64, Raiden on the Jaguar. Number 63, Space Dungeon on the 5200. Number 62, Twilight World on the XLXE by Atari UK. It's a great what game. What is that, by the way? I'll have to play it. I'll have to make a video. It is a game where it's like an underground exploration game. It's like a, it's it, it's a, it's a, one of the great budget games. But when Atari made budget games, they sold them for about nine ninety nine. When other people made them, they sold them for about two ninety nine. So that okay. Warlords on the twenty six hundred is number sixty one. Karotica on the XEGS is number 60, not Karotica on the 7800. That is awesome. terrible. That would have been off the list. No way. 59, Video Olympics on the 2600. 58, one-on-one on the Atari 7800. Now, I don't know if one-on-one on the XLXE shows up, but if not, we'll just name it there too, just in case. Number 57, Bowling on the Atari VCS. Number 56, 
The Blasteroids Atari Arcade Game. Number 55, Commando on the XEGS. Number 54, Berserk on the 5200 and 2600. Number 53, the oh, the 2600 version of that is spectacular. Yeah, well, they both are really good. 53, Battle Zone Coin Op, but there also was a, a great released Atari one on both the 2600 and the Atari ST. There's and the, the 5200 had the 5200 one, but I don't know if it was released. I know that I don't, I, I think it was just it's a. It's weird because that, tech, I mean, in another universe, that could be number one on the list. Right, so exactly. Weird. But it's just how we, it's how we yeah. rated them. Number 52, the Fire Truck Arcade Coin Op. Number 51, Galaxian on the 2600, not Galaxian on the 400-800. Right. Um, and here and we are to 50 Number now. 50. So do you want to start with this one? And, uh, let's start with number 50, Steve. Okay. So number 50 on the top 50 list for our 50th episode and ending part one of season three, Phoenix for the 2600. Now, you actually put this on. I want you to explain to me why you, you put Phoenix on because actually I didn't do this. Because Phoenix is an incredible arcade conversion for the Atari 2600. It's one of those later ones. A lot of people say, hey, it's just Demon Attack. Well, actually, Demon Attack kind of stole from phoenix but in any case it's one of those cartridges you put in your how do they do this that's basically why it's a very awesome. very good so this is a maybe a gcc game possibly, i probably or? i'd say most likely a gcc game okay well number 49 millipede the arcade game and this could have been centipede too i can't remember if centipede is higher in the list or not but just the combination of the trackball in addition, so it being a little bit more complicated, not but it's basically the same game. There's just more stuff to shoot. This is one of the best shooters ever in the arcade. You don't get extra weapons. It's one of the best original style shooters, right? With the little area at the bottom that you can move around in. The fact that the mushrooms show up, and you, you know, there's different ways you can use mushrooms to your advantage. There's just so many things about Millipede and Centipede before it that make them so interesting, but also hard to follow up on. Like th there's Millipede, I guess, should have been a game. And we could talk about that a little bit when we talk about these. There's a lot of titles here that Atari made themselves that should have continued on to become franchises and didn't. And to me, Millipede is one of those. It should have become a franchise. I know they tried later to do a Centipede or something, you know, with a 3D version by Hasbro. But but, I'm, but this should have been a franchise and it and just never happened. Well, you by are the way, a I believe garden you're a, I believe you're a garden gnome. You're a garden way. gnome. Yes, so I think they could have used that character somewhere. There's also a good and honorable mention just on this line is... The 2600, Atari 8-bit, 5200, and Atari ST versions of Millipede are all very well done. Okay. All cool. released by Atari. Um, or ARC, but ARC is um, actually Atari. Okay, number 48. The Atari X's and O's coin-op football game, where you used to... the uh, trackball to move. Funny, another trackball game. So I just remember this, when playing this game... I think you can actually pass in it too, but running and passing. This seemed like when you were playing with someone, it was the first time it was a sports game I saw in the arcade that wasn't Pong. And I was, this probably made me realize that video games could be way more than what I thought they could be, you know, when it came out. Because this is a really, really cool game. I would still, if I had unlimited space, would want to own one of these. It also 
and unlimited uh, was money such too. a skill game because really the faster you move that trackball and how you moved it was if you were going to win this or not you weren't pushing a joystick up hoping the player would run fast it ran fast based on how you moved that trackball so it was yeah. cool it was cool the next one 47 so this is the last starfighter which was never released we i think we downloaded it from a bbs to play it in sometime in 1984 1985 it was a really cool nearly finished game but it really was like star raiders and so i believe it became star raiders 2 but not the actual star raiders 2 which i think they found yeah. and released so, on Atari Age a couple of years ago. So this is a double because there's, there's a Star Raiders 2 cartridge that was last Starfighter that I have for the XCGS. It's an excellent game, but it's not exactly Star Raiders 2. Then there's another real Star Raiders 2 that I've played on the XLXE as an XEX file, and it's awesome. This just combines all of those Star Raiders 2 games together, basically. In yes. the number 47. Yeah. The like, idea that this, let's just, just, here you go. This is Atari trying to make a franchise. And exactly. it should have been a franchise. This should have gone on every other platform. This should have been part of Atari Soft. You know, there should have been a PC version. Why Why wasn't this continued on? And again, I know they made one a couple of years ago on the Xbox or something. These don't, they don't count. We're talking about TV uh, you franchises know, 40, then. 35 years later, there's no brand equity anymore. When, this is something that should have been carried on at the time. When every other system was selling millions of units, why aren't you pushing this Atari Soft label much harder? Yeah. It's anyway. just dumb. It's, it's because, because at the time, I think and this is, we're kind of talking about Atari and Trimmy all the time. People thought they could make money building hardware. And in retrospect, it turns out that being in the hardware business is actually not an easy business to be in. Yeah, the software um, business is a much better business. Software is better, but then even now, it's just so easy to make software that it's hard to. So, so the next the three, I know that you put these on for a reason, and I want to find out what was your Okay, reasoning. so 46. Robotron... The 5200, 400, 800, XLXC. So I love this conversion. I saw a review where they said things move kind of slow. So I don't think so. I think this moved great. This shows how they could have made Food Fight, but they didn't do a very good job with Food Fight. That's why it's not on the list for the XLXC. I remember playing this soon. I love, I loved it on the on our 400, 800 before I played the one in the 7800. Right, 7800 one is just brilliant. So it's a new 2600 version that's coming out. Stargate on the 2600. I know a lot of people like Defender on the 2600. Stargate fixes everything about Defender that I didn't like. Probably just kind of like Miss Pac-Man to Pac-Man, right? It is basically Miss Pac-Man to Pac-Man, exactly. This is a really late game too, right? This came out. This yeah, and it's called some, this... in some places it's called Defender Two. Some places it's Stargate. I have Stargate. I actually have it in box. I think I have it in box too. I have a Stargate in box. The next one is one of my favorite games when we first got the Atari 400-800, flipped this thing on, yes. and played Defender. I thought it was like, how how are they doing this on a computer? I think it's probably when we put in that Elwood's disc that had the five or eight different Atari 16K games on it, or eight 16K yeah. games on it. I think we probably loaded Defender 
close to being first after Asteroids. It was so good. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. good. And this turns, is a Christmas morning. It also turns out that the guy who made this was actually programming it on an Apple II and didn't, yeah, cool. use, didn't use a lot, just used the pure horsepower of the 800, didn't use any sprites or anything like that. Didn't use any player missile graphics. But um, it does look really good. Your ship's a little fat, but that's okay. So 43, These are. this is for you. Yeah, Warbirds on the Lynx. So the Lynx had an amazing scaling engine. You could scale graphics. And I, at the time, loved little flight simulators, arcadey flight simulators. The best arcadey flight simulator, I think, is Rogue Squadron for the PC, Rogue Squadron 3D. I think that kind of topped out. But Warbirds is a great little, like, World War One shooter um, where you you take off, you land, you fly around it, you use scaling graphics to kind of make a 3D world. And it is by far one of the best games on the Lynx and and honestly predates the like mode seven scaling stuff on the Super Super Nintendo by by a few years. The Lynx uh, had scaling. Oh, uh, it was great. Yeah, the, the scaling was fantastic. Warbirds is is a great Lynx game that hardly anyone talks about. I guess anymore, but it's but it really was groundbreaking when it came out. Uh, yeah, I remember that as one of the first ten games we have on links, and I remember yeah. I was terrible at it, but I loved it. So number forty-two is the ten yen version of Tetris for the NES, because it is known to be the far superior Tetris, and Tetris is one of my favorite games of all time. And think about this: this is what I was. This is another into the vertical blank thing. I mean, Atari didn't do anything wrong but put out this Tetris. They thought they had bought the rights and someone didn't sell, sell it to them correctly or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole long story about this. But imagine if none of, none of that existed. The Atari team at Atari Games who started Tetris was somewhat kind of an offshoot just like the um, home division of Atari, the consumer division of Atari was back in the 70s. I mean, they were... You know, in the same vein, it was a coin-op company making home video games, not their own system, though. So it was kind of like a coin-op company with Atari Soft attached, right? It was basically now consumer again at, at yeah. real Atari, not not real Atari, real Atari at consumer. Again. What an amazing find if they had actually been able to pull this off. Like they saw a great game, if they licensed it, if Atari actually owned the rights to Tetris, Atari Games going forward. I mean, that's a billion-dollar property right. right there that they could have owned. So they had the right idea. Just bad luck or bad decisions or whatever um, you know, knocked them out of it. But it was not a bad idea. It was actually a great idea, and that's why it's on this list. Okay, next, I've got a couple Jaguar games that I have that I, have, um, that I recently have been able to purchase cartridge only and play, and I love. I've always heard that Alien vs. Predator was fantastic. Alien vs. Predator is awesome. Is it really? I've never seen it. And you get to be, you can play either the soldier, the alien, or the predator. And so far, I've played the alien, and you just go rip the predator and the soldier's heads off. So this, I mean, if you think about it, this is the one original title for the Jaguar that has continued on to this day. There are still AVP games. Yes. Um, that come out. And I don't think a lot of people realize that it started on the Tar Jaguar. Some people do. The right people do. Yeah, the right um, people do. Uh, and then the next is... And Iron the wrong S people don't. So there you go. The wrong people don't, exactly. The next is Iron Soldier on the Jaguar, which is one of the best games on the system, along with 
Uh, we have some more of them coming up. Now, those but are Iron shaded S polygons, right? And it's game? a. Sh this is Iron Soldier is a 3D mech. You're in a mech and you're blowing stuff up. Shaded polygons. It's a good game. Made really cool. well. C almost completely unemulatable for some reason. Like I can't find in a system that will emulate it properly. The Jaguar had a very complex architecture, and a lot of people only make use of the 68,000, you know, and the audio, and that's it. So if, if you do more than that, I think it, it makes it hard. It was very difficult, I think, for people to get their head around that system and build great stuff for it. That's why it's a, another missed opportunity for Atari. Exactly. Huge missed opportunity. So the next two I'm going to pick up are mine. So number 39 is Star Raiders, basically for the Atari 800, although there's Atari SD version, Atari VCS, and 5200. Star Raiders is obviously the, um, the killer app for the Atari 800. Um, and and when you when you played it back in the day, you could realize why. I mean, based on the the idea of the Star Trek game on the mainframes, main yeah. where you would you would have a tactical grid and you choose where to go and you would try to you know to fight a space battle. I mean, it's, it's it's a basic game that's been around for you know it was probably around for almost a decade before it even made it into a cartridge for Atari. But but what they did was make an amazing game where. It also scaled bitmaps. Bit I mean, um, it didn't. I don't know if they actually scaled them, but it, but they're scaling bitmaps bit on there for the ships that you're fighting. It feels like you're flying in 3D space. The uh, the hyperspace is awesome. All the map stuff works. Uh, the whole game is really sort of slick and easy to play. It made that whole idea of the space combat, tactical space combat game, that much better to go and play. It's, um, just it's also the type fun. of game. Yeah, it's and again, like we said before, it's the type of game that didn't really last through the console generations because they kind of, you know, people wanted more. But I, I'm going to guess that you know Atari could have kept iterating on this. It should have been what Wing Commander was. Yeah, right? it uh, Wing Commander. Continued. Wing Commander is basically Star Raiders, but it's got fantastic graphics that work that on great. VGA, right? It's a VGA version of Star Raiders with more cutscenes. So the next one's really interesting, Steve. Okay, so. I don't know how this got so high up on the list, but so Video Pinball and David's Midnight Magic for the VCS. So I love these two games. That's why I rated them high. They weren't even on your list, but they're very high on my list. Video Pinball had this way that you could nudge just right and play the game forever and just rack up points. And I just love that. I love, I love discovering that. I love the idea that you could build a game with physics somewhat on the Atari VCS. But David's Midnight Magic is actually... a fairly decent pinball simulation. So it came, you know, in the late stage Atari VCS. Davis Minute Magic is much better than the Atari 400-800 version of it, or the yeah, XCGS it, version. It, there's some drop targets that you can hit to advance the game. There's a lot you can do, and it played really well on the VCS with the way that the architecture is designed. So I, I think that People miss these two games. I don't think people talk about David's Midnight Magic or Video Pinball that much, but I think the VCS was uniquely suited for this type, type of game. Number 37, another Jaguar game, Wolfenstein 3D for the Jaguar, which is a completely different version of Wolfenstein 3D. Looks the same, new maps, some new enemies, some different sounds and music, oh, cool. and it's done really, really well. Pretty much the most modern game that's on here, to be honest. What right. about Doom? Was Doom was on the Jaguar yeah, too, right? But I know I've never played it. So this is my favorite. Yeah. So if I had played it, I would know, but only played it emulation and couldn't get it to work really. So Oh, that's too bad. 
think it was like 90, probably 91 when Wolf 3D came out or we were reading about it. I mean, it's one of the games that convinced us to dump our Atari ST and go get a, a PC. Yeah, exactly. Because it was just so good. And maybe it was the one that came, but wasn't there like some fantasy game they made before? It yeah. Was kind of the same thing. Yeah, there was a um, one where you were, you were a wizard. That yeah. was pretty good. But I think but the ST used... was already in mothballs by that time because we had a... No, no. So by that, we had... Okay. I mean, by the time that came out. But when we were seeing um, Wolfenstein 3D for the first time or hearing about it, we had AT speed for the ST. And so we were playing PC game, EGA pc games with a pc reading disk drive it's kind of like just bolting on 286 onto your your 68000 it's really cool but um, that's a story for another, another time i don't so, know what happened to that disk drive either i or I the software either. that runs P, uh, pc speed because i still have that machine it, it, we, it was a pc speed it was at speed i mean at speed i'm sorry and they were like by the way there were like three other ones that got you know, the pc ditto and a, you know a bunch of other ones at the time that would turn your atari st into a pc it was obvious that that's the way things were going even atari put out a pc at the time yeah or very close to it now Explain to me, number 36, why the VCS version isn't. So number 36 is Missile Command for the 4800 and 5200, which are excellent, and the arcade. The none, of us, none of us put, put it in. I mean, the, let's, let's add it back in. The VCS I'm just going to make a special mention of the VCS yeah, version, which a, was excellent. Do an audible. I'm going to do an audible. All the Missile Command versions are awesome. So I remember playing originally playing Missile Command in um, we we finished our baseball game and um, we won we won the season out of four teams. I think I played the outfield the whole time, and we went to Foster's Freeze, and we were celebrating with an ice cream cone our win of the entire season, and they had a Missile Command machine there. And oh god, I was like I had never seen. I don't think I it did. You know, we didn't have a ton of video games right here, but. I remember seeing it going, oh my God, like Atari. And I saw the Atari name on it. Just like, I would get so excited. And um, and I just thought it was brilliant. Like the, just It was a totally different game. You know, again, kind of like Centipede, where like Atari would put out different games, you know, Tempest. And I know like people say like, they think like Williams made the best arcade games, Namco. But I think Atari did a really good job of like mixing it up and trying to do different things. And Missile Command was de- definitely one of those. And and when we got it on the Atari 100, I was not disappointed. And when we got the one for the VCS on our birthday in 1982, was not disappointed. I mean, just, just really, really, really great game. So number 35, Space Invaders on the 2600. But did you know the Atari 5200 is a whole different version than the Atari 400-800 version? I did not know that, Jeff. Ex- to explain. So anyway, first of all, the 2600 one, this is, like a, this is a Rick Maurer game. It's got like 255 variations. It's absolutely incredible how much is packed in and the fact that he can even make Space Invaders with no nothing blinking. Obviously, he's got a single-line kernel to do this. The missed opportunity with Space Invaders was to take all those variations and make it into one game. There's variations where like the barriers move and the there's no shots or all those should have been levels, right? Instead, you get one variation that you keep playing the whole time. And, and to me, that's a really important distinction because Atari would put how many variations were on the box. It would say, like, includes 255 video games as if that was a feature. But, right. like, it was, it was very short-sighted because what they should have said was, you know, 255 levels of one video game. Or, you know what I mean? Like, or, or 128 because I guess there were two-player versions of one game. Yeah, um, Nintendo that, figured that out. Yeah, Nintendo figured it out. 
Exactly. But um, I think that this is the biggest defender of that principle because it really could have been an even more in-depth game. It would have been an awesome game. So would the breakouts, right? If it switched levels. Yeah. Um, so the Atari 5200 version is a game that you probably have never played before. It yeah, looks no, I haven't. a lot like the 2700 version, but more colorful. The Atari, it's been modified with the Atari 800 version. So the invaders don't march off from the side and there are actual barriers. Uh, and so that looks, was a Rob Fulop thing. Rob Fulop decided to build his own version of Space Invaders. It's kind of neat. They, it's just a good version. They come out, but there's no barriers for some reason, and that's kind of an odd thing. Yeah, that's sort of a hallmark of Space Invaders. So the 5200 gets an gets a uh, honorable mention, and the Rob Fulop one, I would, just falls off the list because it, it was too different to be a... Uh, yeah, but, but kudos to Rob Fulop for trying to do something di different. It just didn't work. That, that's all. It's not, not, there's nothing wrong with it. So I'll do number 34 because it's Vanguard and the entire VCS, which some people don't like. I think it's a fantastic game. I think game. they're wrong. And Vanguard on the Atari 800 slash Atari 5200 is awesome too. So I, okay, go ahead and talk about Vanguard. I got something to say. Vanguard is just like, it is a, it's a, ver it's a horizontal ver and vertical scroller and it's multi-level and you, you get a power-up, and it is in four-way shooting. There's a boss, too. I don't too, see yeah. how it can go wrong. <laughs> I just don't see how it can go wrong. It's an incredible no, game. No, you, you can't. It's the primary, I think, side-scroller to be, that created all of their side-scrollers. You know, people will point to, like, Scramble or, or something like that, but Scramble's not. Scramble's a hard game because it, it's unrelentless, controlled chaos. Um, I see or, or slightly controlled chaos. And, scramble, and Vanguard is not that way. Scramble-like game is you're not necessarily in a cave the way you are in other side-scrollers. And also, the gravity is down. So when you fire missiles, they fall down. Yeah. And other, other side-scrollers that aren't the, of the scramble variety, there's no gravity pulling missiles down. Everything is fired straightforward. That's the difference, really. Yeah. Well, and don't forget, Vanguard, I think, in the arcade has, is a dual-stick game. Because so, you can fire in four directions. Oh, yes, it is. Um, so you can still fire in four directions here. It's just not as easy to do. I don't know if anyone ever made a dual stick version of Vanguard. That would have been cool if they if they had. I remember we got this Christmas morning of 1982 along with River Raid. Oh, and I re still remember that as like one of the best Christmases ever. Like just have, I don't know, for some reason having those two games made me feel like the Atari VCS was just the, the thing to have. Number 33 is Pole Position on the Atari 800 and pole position two and the 1700. So I now, remember wait. honorable mention though, 2600 version isn't bad. And okay. Atari put out the midway coin op. I always thought this was an Atari. It's game. not midway. It's Namco. Namco. I'm sorry. Oh, about the Namco coin op. I thought this was an Atari. Game. Like Steve Golson was telling us in his episode, you know, Atari treated these like games that they acquired from, from other companies and release them at their own. So just like their games. You know, I never I never actually saw it that way about Quantum and Food Fight until he described it. They they had that actually bought in and this is the same type type of thing, you know, that they, they got the rights to this game and, and tweaked it and released it. Probably the manufacturing did. They probably didn't have that much to do with the people that were actually make, making games. I love the arcade game. I always thought it was better than Turbo. I loved it when we got it on one of the discs that we got with our Atari 100. I'm like, oh my God, like this is almost close to the real thing. And then I played the 7000 Pole Position 2, which is almost a pixel perfect version of the arcade game. I mean, yes. I, I, 
I, I haven't spent that much time analyzing the two, but oh my god, is it great! What it also is is like shows the limitation of this type of racing game. Like you couldn't take it that much further. But wow, is it a great version? Yeah, it's about as far as you could go with a circular track. I know they're not all circular. The scaling sort of track. Yeah. It wasn't really three D. On on an eight bit oh. system, really. Here's a question for you, though. Okay, so Pole Position 2 was the pack-in game for the 7800. Thinking of all the 7800 games that existed, is that a good pack-in? Retrospect? I would have packed in Galaga, uh, Food Fight, or Asteroids 3D, to be honest with you. I think they're trying to pack in something as new and different, but I would say, for me, the pack-in should have been Dig Dug or Centipede or a game like that. I think maybe they didn't want to do Centipede. Those are getting like long in the tooth by long 86. in the tooth. I think Publisher 2 is like the newest game they had. Yeah. So they probably said, let's let's put put it out. It doesn't matter because it never came out in 1984. Maybe it would have been fine. By the time it did come out, it was old anyway. So it doesn't matter. We, we have got a lot to go. So No, no uh, we are on um, number 32, Steve. Okay. Oh, this is mine. Yeah. Primal Rage. I mean, people will argue with this. This is Atari games, coin up where dinosaurs fight each other. Really, I, I love this because my first daughter loved this game. And we would play it on the Midway Arcade Treasures 2, I think it is. When I had my PlayStation 2 set up, we played it all the time. And I love the idea that Atari made a fighting game with dinosaurs, Atari games. I wonder why this hasn't showed up anywhere i don't know how popular it was when it came out but i wonder why i think warner brothers owns all of this atari game stuff mid- midway stuff and i wonder why they sit on all of it and don't release it it's just really really really, really, really to me but i love this yeah, game i don't know either number 31 is asteroids on the 2600 and 3d asteroids on the atari 7800 which are two fantastic versions in fact the 7800 version is probably the best version of asteroids ever made there are two other versions of Asteroids out there for other systems. In fact, I think Asteroids made it onto the Lynx 2 along with Missile Command. But yeah, they were so a dual small. cartridge or something. It, the screen was so small it was hard to play them. Yeah. But, Plus, as we did in our Asteroids episode, it was on every, every other platform. It was on every other yes. platform, too. But the, the thing about it is there are two other versions that I would love to give honorable mentions to, but I just can't. One is the Atari 400-800 version. It's a good four-player version, two-player version of Asteroids. The problem with it is it looks like someone barfed green and blue on the screen. Yeah, it's slow as shit, too. It's, and it's hard to look at. I mean, it's just difficult. People saw it and said, what is that? You can't even see the screen. Good programming effort, just bad choice of colors. Um, and a little slow. The other one is a version of Asteroids Deluxe made for Atari by Paradox, put out by Atari, for the Atari ST. And it tries to emulate the 700 version of Asteroids, but not in a very good way. It's okay. But the ST should have been able to make just a pixel-perfect version of Asteroids. Oh, yeah. I mean, remember Megaroids that we played in the, in the high-res mode? Megaroids much better, than, they asked much better than Asteroids by, for, by Atari for the ST. Yeah, and that was the Mega Max C packet, like, like demo game. Yeah, that was a great game. That was so cool. So um, here's the other version of Robotron, Steve. Number thirty. Next up, number thirty, Robotron for the seventy hundred. Why do I put this here? Because it was. It's almost feels, and I know, I know. I think Steve Golson didn't agree with this, but I don't care. I'm just gonna say it feels like the seventy hundred was designed to play this game, with the amount of sprites it can show on yeah. the screen, how fast it can move, move them around. 
it feels like they're saying I'm wrong, obviously, because Steve Goldson said that wasn't true. But I'm just saying it feels like this was the perfect platform for this game. Um, it should have come out in 1984. Maybe this should have been the pack-in yeah. with the 700. If you think about it, or this or Joust. Now um, you can. So is this? You can use two joysticks with this game. And you can, in emulation, yeah, but plug that, in... But, but the pain line controllers you aren't could, the worst. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the only thing you can do is, in emulation, you can use an Xbox or a PlayStation controller, and you can use both sticks if you want. So whoever doesn't realize the pain line, the, the Atari 700 Pro line controllers, which are supposed to be these revolutionary controllers that sat in your hand, oh, after a while, they just make your hand hurt it's so hard to press the button on the left side i don't know who thought of this who tested it out that's why they're called the pain line controllers because they just they just didn't work atari never bested the single button red button joystick of the cx40 no, in my they opinion did not. They, did, they didn't uh, they um, didn't other people did so number 29 is centipede for the atari 7800 and i particularly picked the 7800 version because it's almost like a combination of millipede and centipede together, and it's incredibly fast and well done. Yeah, now, it looks great. There was a really nice version of centipede made for the 5200 that's better than the Atari 8400 800 version, which fell off our list because it just was sort of, it was like a tech demo of centipede. The other one has the colored, two colored mushrooms, so does 7800. I also oh, recall oh. the title screen, and this is obviously because we've come from the age when no games had title screens, so we could be excited by title screens. I just remember the title screen for this game being amazing. Yeah. What's number 28, Steve? That, that, that's got to be one of our Into the Rogue Blanks things, is that, is that, you know, since we were around long enough to see all these changes, we get excited about the stupidest things. Yeah, I get excited about title <laughs> screens, too. Just it had a title screen that looked like it was from an arcade game. In I'm done. I'm not. I'm in, <laughs> sold. Exactly. I'll give you my twenty four ninety five for that or whatever. <laughs> Speaking of cool title screens, the next game, uh, Caverns of Mars for the Atari Hundred. Uh, this is a game that started in the Atari Program Exchange, and then got lifted out and put into regular into to be released regularly for Atari. I don't, I don't know if I remember any other games quite like this one. It was a scrolling shooter that scrolled down the screen and you were going down into a, a cavern and the graphics were crisp the sounds were great it, it was just controlled perfectly and your i think your goal was to get to the bottom and set a bomb and then get get out or something kind yes. of like i think hero is sort of similar to that but um just an unmatched game another another atari property that should have been a franchise Right, right. There is a 2600 version that someone made that's pretty neat. Um, oh, but that's, that's not cool. a franchise. Yeah. No, it's it's a homebrew. It's a homebrew. Yeah. Okay. It's Conquest of Mars, what it's called. Cool. But I mean, again, this is this is a property that Atari owned. And, and yes. I just, I just, why didn't they make it for other systems? Why wasn't this Atari soft? Why didn't they make it later? I just don't. It's just unfathomable to me what the decisions they would make with all the resources they had to not follow up on these these game these uh these titles and make them into franchises i just don't understand the next one number 28 i mean 27 is one that it's hard driving by target and there's also, also race driving uh, i guess honorable mention there. race driving 
but there was not one decent home version of this game. It just could not be done. Not at the time, anyway. It's too slow. Frame rate. So this is a slow. this is a fully three D racing game, polygon. And, and was it really racing, or did there like challenges like get it was around? More the loop like or... driving. That's why it's called driving. I mean, yeah. Steve Crammond made took this idea and made the incredible stunt car racer, which which was able to be on home machines and optimized for them and ran incredibly well but there wasn't a good version of this by domark for the machines out at the time but you've got so this game was full 3d you would drive by a couple 3d buildings um shaded polygons there was a jump and a loop and a couple other things and i guess your job was like it was timed and you're supposed to like complete some challenges a little bit of an open world i guess i mean it's pretty incredible for what it was at the time not the most fun game to play but revolutionary and needs to be on this list for sure Atari Re- te- technologically driving. revolutionary in fact it just sparks my interest when I think about it even though I was terrible at it yeah number 26 is Commando for the Atari 7800 honorable mention Commando we had for the Atari 8400 XLXE down below actually just the XE it, it is the de facto version of Commando there's an Atari ST version, actually, that's really, really good, better than this. But of the games put out by Atari, or of the versions of Commando for 8-bit systems, at least, this was the best one, by far. I still, I think mine is still sealed. I don't know if I played it, or or maybe it is, It is maybe it's out of the box. I don't have Commando for the 700. So if um, you have Commando for 700, good. I'd love to yeah. play it. Yeah, I do, I have it. I've only played it um, emulation ever. <laughs> And, I, you know, just you know, it's in a box. I was going to tell you, I think I'm going to offload all my loose Atari 2600 cartridges and just keep the CIBs. So there may be some stuff there that you want. So I'll, oh. I'll show them to you. No, your loose 7800 ones, I'd love to see if you have a command. No, I, yeah, loose 7800. I, they may, I'm, that may be the only place I have food fight is a loose 7800. So we'll see about that. You anyway. want to keep some of them then. Hey everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show I play a great old game, then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game. Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. The next one is a game that probably was not the best version ever put on a 8-bit console. Number 25? Number 25, but it was my favorite on the 7800. Well, one of my favorites on the 7800. Wait, no, I know what your favorite is. Around. I know. My right. favorite. So when this we is... got the 7800 for Christmas in 1986, we asked our mom for two games. I know that sounds kind of lame because we were 16 years old. We were still asking our mom for video games, but whatever. Whatever. It was the 80s. You know, we were outside, we were sort of new waivers, and inside we were... Still had girlfriends at the time, so it's okay. Yeah. yeah. I have friends my own age. But look, yeah. the 7800 version of Galaga was... just blew me away. And I know now you look at it and you're like, well, it's slow, and the graphics aren't perfect. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I play this every morning for like a month. I wake up for school. I'm so excited we have the 7800 hooked up to our TV. And I would wake up like a half an hour early for high school and I'd get up and I'd play this game for about a month. 
and it was fantastic. I just loved it. I would, I think I probably made it to like level 22 or something. And I just wanted to see if they, they were able to cram in all the challenge stages. And some of the challenges I don't understand because they reused some graphics that I think, I, I, I think that they could have just added a little bit extra ROM and had all the graphics in there. I'm not yeah, sure there's exactly a few, why there's the a few sprites missing. You're right. It feels honestly like it wasn't finished. So, and I don't know if that's true or not, because there's still some optimization to be done. I, my guess is that Galaga had all the waves in, they hadn't finished the game yet, and um, it wasn't necessarily going to be released yet, but it got shoved out the door when, when it came out. But I don't know if that's true. If it, even if it's 99%, it's still a good game. Oh, it's great. Now, I wouldn't play the NES version. NES version actually is better. Well, NES version uh, is basically the basically om, almost without a little bit of hitchiness to the graphics in some places. It's almost arcade perfect. See, almost. one thing, and I don't quite understand why your ship in this game doesn't look right. Because from the 1700 programming I've been doing, uh, I can't see why. First of all, I would have zoomed in and done this all at 16 by 16 graphics or something. Maybe had a little few less enemies, but but allowed you to get to get it to look right. Maybe I don't know. I don't know if I do that or not. Idea, but my point is that you can apparently, and I haven't tried this. So Atari Seven Hundred has two different one sixty by one ninety two graphics modes. One is A and one is B. So mode A has can display four color sprites from eight eight palettes. Mode B, you can display twelve color sprites using colors from the first three, sorry, the first four and the second four palettes. And you can actually combine those two on the screen at the same time. So you can have a 12 color sprite on the screen with your other four color sprites, as long as it's pulling, pulling colors from the, from the four palettes. Now it, it costs more to load in, but I'm thinking that you could have made your ship in Galaga look identical to the one in the arcade if you were able to do that. Um, interesting to me but i'm still working on 7800 stuff so yeah i think that there's i mean there have been some people who have changed that ship so there's a there's a uh, version of galaga out there that i have a, a hack that has the 7800 hack yeah 700 hack that, that has the ship replaced with the right that's ship. cool yeah all right uh, next one on the list is one i added for sure number 24 number, number 24, 24 dark chambers this is 7800 version. I may have also listed the 2600 and Atari XE versions and as honorable mentions, but in any case, this is the best you're going to get on any of these systems for a game that is as good as I know Gauntlet existed on I'm existed on the at least on the 8 8 bits and uh, the ST not made by Atari. But made by Atari, this is the best ver game like Gauntlet you're going to get. So, so I want to say what why the game is not on this list is Gauntlet for the Lynx, the Third Encounter, I think it's called, because it you have to hold the Lynx upright to play it. It's absolutely impossible. And I'm, and I was thinking like, why did they? I guess they did it because of the screen, the way the orientation of the screen. I would have just reoriented the screen yeah. and let you play it normally because it is it is a pain to play Link's otherwise that probably would have vertically. been on this list links games yeah. held vertically bad idea to me that's just it was just strange but i know i guess they were trying to do something or show that you could do that but it didn't work the didn't next, work the next one deserves a little bit of a story about how we acquired it steve so 23 is raiders of the lost ark for the vcs i still remember this as being one of my favorite games ever on the vcs we found it i think 
Christmas around November. So it was was it Christmas? It was the maybe December. We had gone to the Great Western Gun Show with Dad. I think at the Pomona Fairgrounds. This one's the P- Pomona Fairgrounds. And whenever we were at the gun shows with Dad, when he was looking for Civil War stuff, we were looking for army patches, trading cards, and we come across a table of Atari. And people games. would sell that stuff there. They would. Oh, they, they would were... sell all kinds of stuff there. Yeah. I don't know what gun shows are like now. I'm, I'm going to guess they're they're somewhat different. <laughs> they're yeah, different clientele. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but but back then they were back then it was a little bit more historically oriented and, and a little bit more like a swap meet. Not really political. I think at the time a lot of people had were still had come back from Vietnam not that long before. Yeah, correct. And and there was lots of surplus, you know, military equipment and stuff. So I think that's why they were different. But anyway, I don't want to get get off on gun shows. That's for another time. We saw a whole table of these BCS games. And I think it's one of the first times I saw silver label games. Um, I think there was a real sports baseball or something. Sorry, I mean the silver box games. And Raiders of the Lost Ark jumped out at me. I remember I'm like, where did you get this? And the guy's like, ah, I just got it. <laughs> you didn't have any idea. I don't even... And uh, we took it home. And I was mesmerized because you you play. I think you we played with two joysticks. I think it, for a while you played as well, and you would do the inventory. Oh no, we had to do it together. We played finished the game around. together, right? Yeah. You. Um, and I think I played a lot, and then I think I read in one of our magazines a couple months later a solution like about parachuting off something. I want to say that I did it myself, like I figured it all out. But I don't think that's the case. I, th- I think I read Solution in Atari or Electronic Games or something, and then and then did it. But we did finish it. We did finish it. Yeah, yeah. we did finish it. So number twenty-two is Solaris for the twenty-six hundred, actually programmed by the same person that programmed um, Star Raiders for the Atari eight hundred. Doug oh, Newbauer. Cool. Yes, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, and um, it is just an incredible Atari VCS game. Uh, it is basically another version of Star Raiders, less galactic mapping and more just pu- shooting action over like a three D planet landscape. So I remember when this came, this and David's Midnight Magic came out about the same time on the kind of red label game, the red label boxes. These were late, 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 late. These were late VCS games, but they were good VCS games. I mean, they really right. showed what the VCS could have done if they were, it was allowed to have more memory and stuff just a few years before. It, and I always imagine like what else they could have done. Like if, they, if this really was a market, they could have done a lot more stuff for the VCS like this. But they're good. it was good. I remember playing Solaris and being blown away by it. The next one is a game that you played a lot more than I did, so I need you to talk about this one. Although I so like this looking is, at it. This is, a, this is, the, in my opinion, probably second best links game called gates of zendicon and it is a side-scrolling shooter where you go through these you each level has different types of stuff to shoot some of them are like you know flying space monsters some of them are like walls you need to shoot through uh lots of shooting by the way and you you go through these different jump gates to go to different levels you're trying to make it all the way through the gates and just there's so much variety and it's so different from anything I played before. So it's you know it's a side scroller, but it's not like R type. It's like an, like an R type where it becomes so incredibly diff- difficult. It was like a side scrolling game where there was a point to it, which was the different levels meant something, and if you could get through them all, you you could get to the end. And I I thought this was such a cool idea, such a great looking and sounding game. I 
can't believe it didn't show up anywhere else. I can't believe you can't play it anyplace else. I'm not sure who made it. I would, this is, if we could track down a Lynx programmer and talk to them, this is the person I'd want to talk to. Who, t tell me about Gates of Zendikon. Like, where did the idea come from? You know, what is, I don't know who that is. Maybe we can find that out. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. I'm sure we can. The next one is also one for you to talk about. What, which, what, what is it? Number 20, because one of your favorite games of all time. Oh, <laughs> number 20. Okay, this this is kind of not fair. And, and Atari fans, if, if there are any Atari fans that are listening, if anyone listens to this, they're probably going to get mad about this one. But this is Roller Coaster Tycoon 1 by Chris Sawyer for the PC, made by Microprose. But then Hasbro bought Microprose, and then Hasbro also bought all the assets to Atari, and then all of that got offloaded to Infograms. So then the current Atari owns the rights to Roller Coaster Tycoon. It's probably the one great property that they still own, that they still do stuff with, although they've made these just ridiculously dumb mobile games, you know. Well, I mean, I guess it's not dumb. I mean, they're trying to trying to catch the mobile game craze and make a bunch of money on it. The pedigree of Roller Coaster Tycoon is in the amazing isometric graphics that Chris Sawyer and his artist built for the original Roller Coaster Tycoon, where you would just, you could build the most awesome looking amusement parks and then invite people to come in and enjoy them like little miniature people and it was kind of like the sims but the building of the amusement park itself is so good and they when they went to 3d they just never got they never got it right they never got to in my opinion they never got the building right the 2d building in roller coaster tycoon at the size is just incredible roller coaster tycoon one roller coaster tycoon two probably these days you play it and it'd be really hard to get into it but i used to play this for hours and hours and hours and thought that this was amazing and that chris sawyer the developer was like the best developer ever he did some other things like transport tycoon and, a, and locomotion but this is and he had a hand in roller coaster tycoon 3 by frontier who were the you know was the first 3d one but everything after that has been kind of a piece of shovelware in my opinion but atari owns the rights to this and it is one of the best games ever made but on the atari list number 19 a game that was probably i think it came out by epics finally it was made by lucas arts they got pissed off because basically everybody had it before they could put it out um, rescue on fractalist at the time called behind jagai lines and it was actually released on the XEGS by Atari. And it's, I don't, cannot find this cartridge anywhere, but it is a fantastic game. And another 3D view, fly and shoot, and then pick up guys. It's a little like a so, 3D choplifter, I guess. So I remember, and you know, I don't, we probably told this story multiple times, but I'm just gonna tell it again. I can't remember what stories we told on this. We talked about Atari for 50 episodes, who knows? But here's a highlight. We were at the space, S-B-A-C-E, South Bay Atari Computer Enthusiast Meeting sometime in 1984. And a guy came in and he had a disc for behind Jagai Lines and he showed it as a demo and it blew everyone out of their chairs. It was so amazing. Right. Behind Jagai, first of all, the fractal landscape is incredible. Never had people seen a landscape. It sort of feels like, you know, it's what you did before you could make 3D graphics, right? You could make these this fractal landscape that looked, I mean, as close to real as we could get back in 1984. And not only that, there it had one of the most 
pants-pissing, scary moments of any video game ever. <laughs> if you missed the fact that the alien, there were little signs that the the guys you were trying to pick up were aliens, and if you missed it, there were the alien could come in and kill you multiple ways, and one of those was to just do a jump scare on the front of your spaceship, and it is the scariest thing I had experienced. But I mean, besides watching the ending of Carrie with yeah. the hand coming out of the ground. And so behind Jagalines, all the special effects, everything, it's just so good. And then it, it got mad that someone released it and they changed the name to Rescue on Fractalus, which I think is a dumb name. Behind Jagalines is a great name. But Rescue on Fractalus is yet another title. I don't know if Atari actually owned it or not. I think it's still owned by Lucasfilm. But another title that should have continued on as a franchise and that and ball blazer why i mean those could be games right now you should be playing the rescue and fractalist 2020 on your xbox right right, right now exactly. there's no reason your players for it. there's no reason if they were great why is it ball blazer um, multiplayer games. A multi yeah it could have been an esports game i'm just so flabbergasted at how people just let this stuff die back in the day but anyway that's enough so so number ahead. 18 oh. I guess I should talk about this one too. Archon. Oh, I, which yeah, I'll talk I about the next two. Um, so Archon. So of course Archon is a game that was put up by Electronic Arts. However, they released it on cartridge for the XCGS or the Zegs for those who don't know how to pronounce um, XCGS. Yeah. <laughs> don't know what, what an what an acronym is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Mr. JPEG. <laughs> I say that all the time. Zegs is fine. Jags is fine. It just it, when That's I first heard, it, I'm like, "What? What's is it? Why would you?" Anyway, um, XEGS is what I like to say because that's that's how I think of it. Archon is. Uh, I remember a game that predated it was called Triad on the Atari 800, probably on the Apple II as well, which was a tic-tac-toe game where you fought for every space, and I always thought that that was really cool. And then Archon came out. It was a it was a chess kind of game that you fought for every space, but there was even more to it than that. There was like power areas that if you owned certain power areas, you'd get more or less power when you fought against different guys. Different characters were better against different other characters. There's so much to Archon to make it an amazing strategy game. And I know they did keep Archon going. Archon had a, Archon 2, and there, there are a couple of their versions of Archon as well. But yet again... Not by Atari. No, no, not by Atari. Again, yeah. this was this is only released by Atari, this version. But I just say, Archon, another game that should have, just like Mule, I mean, Electronic Arts sort of suffers. A lot of the classic era games suffer from this. Electronic Arts had a ton of interesting titles that should have continued on as well. And Archon, I don't know about Seven Cities of Gold because it had it may, maybe as an exploration game it should have continued, but I love that game. But Archon definitely pinball construction set should have kept going onto other platforms. There are so many great things that came out of Mule should have gone everywhere. Electronic Arts uh, just Mule dumped. made it to the NES. I mean, I know, but Mule should be like Worms is or something. Well, I know, I know. Where it just where where there there are these strategy games that continually get updated with brand new stuff, and they're like franchises. And why did these franchises die instead? I just don't understand because they're good and they're still good to play. Uh, anyway, sorry. Okay, next up, Excalibur by Chris Crawford. So on the Atari 800, this may have been, along with Ultima 4, might have been my favorite Atari 800 game. Very esoteric, 
it doesn't jump out of you. I think it's the culmination of all the things though that Chris Crawford was trying to do. So it has sort of the strategy style games that were like in Eastern Front, sort of the strategy about fighting battles. Um, it has this relationship style stuff that he tried to do in Gossip. Are you trying to rule England or the UK? And there's all these different areas and you go fight battles. You make uh, deals and arrangements with people. And it had this throne room. And in the throne room, it showed all your knights and their relative relations to you and Guinevere. And Lancelot was always getting too close. And you're always trying to figure out how to get him away from Guinevere because you knew what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's so much in that game that not many people have played it. but And it's kind of hard to get into now. But back then, it was it was just mind-blowing the depth of strategy and things that he put into that game that I wish more people had played. So that's what's so high on this list because I had such great memories of it. You say that was for the Atari Program Exchange for the Atari 800. Yeah, it, and it never came out by Atari. It's always just an APX game. So the Even next though one, Crawford worked for Atari at the time. Yeah, we had to put <laughs> stuff out. In the, I mean, it was oh, weird. I don't know how that worked. But, but by um, the way, as, a, as an aside... So the programmer for Gates of Zendikon, Pete Engelbright, and he also did California games, summer games, and winter games for the VCS by Epix. I've never, I don't know how many of those I've actually played, but I would love to talk to Pete Engelbright. I wonder if he would even be willing to talk. Maybe we could talk to him when we start our next season, which is going to be mostly about, a lot about programming homebrew games. I want to talk to more programmers. And Lynx may be one that we delve into as well, but maybe later. But anyway, I'd like to talk to Pete Engelbright. Somebody find him. <laughs> talk to him. Okay, number 16, Space Duel. Coin-op. Space Duel. It is after I finished playing Asteroids for the last time, I found Space Duel and played this game all the time. I... Loved and hated at the same time the tethered ships. I loved when you had two ships. I hated when you had one functioning ship trying to tether together. Fun game, though. I love shooting the, the colorful cube and the spinning things. I don't. There's such a satisfaction in shooting those. There was also stuff you oh, couldn't yes. really shoot, and it made me angry. And there were challenging stages where you could die. So there were a few things about it that are annoying, but I love this game. So I mostly watched you play this in the arcade. I didn't play it that much myself, but I, I love to watch it. It did to me feel like it, this was a real uh, revolution on asteroids. And I felt like this is where like this, these types of games should get more and more complicated like this. And, and I loved watching you play. I think you and I played together a couple, couple times because one guy could, could control the ships that were either you had your own ship or you could actually rotate one together that were tethered. Uh, what a cool, cool game. And another sort of when Mount Vesuvius exploded in the entire, in the entire you know, video game industry in the USA, imploded and this is one of those games that was buried with it well know? there's there's no official conversion of this game there is a atari 7800 hack of the asteroids game that's a really well done hack that um the sh shoot the space tool stuff next all right number 15 we're in the top 15 right now star wars coin op one of the I'm most gonna... impressive okay, coin ops ever made yeah, I'm just going to stop you right there. We have an entire episode about this. We have two episodes about the Star Wars coin-up. Yeah. 
people should just go listen listen to him. We spent like two and a half hours talking about the Star Wars coin up and what it meant and everything. Fourteen. Rygar. Rygar. This is so funny. I didn't know much about the Japanese video game industry when we got our links. I knew a little bit, right? We played some NES and played Mario and stuff. But I I wanted Rygar because I thought that if we had Rygar on the links, it would mean that we were part of the current video game industry. I would kind of understand right. what the kids all loved. I think we were lives like 19 or 20 when we got this, maybe 20. I was like, what does Rygar sounds to me like the type of game that people would play on these newfangled consoles. And in reality, there's a version for the NES. It's not very good. The one from Lynx is, is fantastic. But it really wasn't like a franchise that anybody cared that much about. Yeah, Ninja <laughs> no idea. was, and Ninja Gaiden was, and there was a Lynx version that wasn't very good. Yeah, but I, the nice thing with the Lynx is Lynx, the Lynx, because it was color handheld and the only one that existed, it was it, people were able to splice the licenses down lines and actually make stuff for the links that otherwise wouldn't have shown up right. if it was just a competitor to the Game Boy or the NES. So this game is really cool. It's a side scroller. Um, you've got this really weird weapon. It, you know, it's like a chain attached to like a shield or something. It's a tethered it's, weapon. It's really cool. I think I, I made it to like seven or eight levels through. I never finished it, but it's fun and really special effects, the sounds, the graphics, everything on the links about it is just superb. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, that's why it's so high on, I remember riding in like for a camping trip and just playing Rygar over and over again for the for this for the few hours I had the batteries. Um, and you know why it's so high here? And it shouldn't be. It should be lower, but it's high here because we both liked it and put it high on our list. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is not like a definitive list of the best Atari games. This is one of our favorite games and how it, how it worked out when we both listed them together. Yeah, and I'm surprised about some of those, especially what came next, which is so Blue number Max. 13, Blue Max so number th- on the number 13 is GS. Blue Max for the Zags. So for the XCGS, Blue Max is not an Atari game. Blue Max is a game by Synapse who made some of the greatest games of the 8-bit era, including Blue Max, which is a take on Zaxxon, except you're in an air, except to me it's it's vastly better than Zaxxon. It's also a little bit like River Raid because there's bridges to blow up too. It's an isometric scrolling shooter. I still just love it. I could still play it now just like back then. It's really fun. It's a type of game that I don't think has been bested very often. Um, no. I think there's a Commodore 64 version as oh, well. Oh, yeah, there's a good Commodore 64. Again, it's not an Atari game, but Atari released it for the XCGS, and it is probably one of the best games ever for an Atari 8-bit system. There you go. I am going to talk about the next one, which is a, number 12, Adventure by Atari. Yes. Why? Because we played games number one first, and then two, and then three, and then kept on playing game three for weeks. Game three yeah. is the hard version. And it was, it's still, well, honestly, it was the entire plot of a movie. Yes. <laughs> As a graphical version of a text game, it's, it's almost like uh, Warren Robinette. It's like an art project almost for him to convert the text into these odd visuals. But Adventure was, I'd say... I was disappointed by it when we first got it because I wanted Dungeons and Dragons, honestly. I didn't know the Atari could do. But it's high up on this list in retrospect because of what it represented 
to us too. I mean, we we saw the thing about the the secret message in a mag, in probably Atari age. I think they had right. the instructions and went and did it. And I, and I, I think one of the best things about being from the game era that we're from is that in real time we were able to discover these things with everyone else. So like living in the vertical blank is that memory of reading through the magazine, going, hey, wait, there's a dot, loading up a sticking adventure in, going and finding it, go, doing the instructions, and then you know seeing the secret message. We didn't do that years later. We didn't see it in a movie or anything. We did it ourselves. Right, and in guess real what? real time, when we were 12 years old. We also didn't like, make a video of it and put it on YouTube. No, because that didn't no, exist at the time. It right? didn't exist. You and did so, it and once, and you did it, and that was you all. Did it once, and it was it was awesome. And we did these things when it was a viable thing to do, and that's what's so fun about it. It's like getting high scores on Activision games and taking pictures of the screen. I did that for Laser Blast. I never sent it in. You would never do that again. Like, why would you do that now? But at the time, there's actually a chance to do it, and that's what's so much fun about that era is that we actually. We actually live through these things, and it's not secondhand. It's what's so exciting about think, thinking about stuff like adventure is that we got to participate in something that ended up being somewhat historical, sad and demented, but historical. <laughs> the next one is Joust. I'm mentioning the it's number eleven versions are the seven eight hundred and Atari ST versions, which are yes. absolutely magnificent. Yes. An honorable mention, it's a 2600 version. The physics on the eggs are wrong. I don't know how they could have done it right. They probably could have, but the Atari 700 and the Atari ST versions are, ST version is arcade perfect. The 700 version yeah. is close. 700 is great. And we had them at the same time. Oh yeah. 1986. This is one where the actual um, pain line controllers do well because pressing the button is actually easier on these. Yeah. Like the control is actually great for this. This could have been a pack-in. Play this game the way I play Freeway by Activision. Because I just sit in one place and tap the button to go up and down, hoping to land on people's heads. That's <laughs> how I play this game. Anyway. That's awesome. Okay, next up. So, Joust. Number 10. I said, like I said, it should have been a pack-in maybe as well. Maybe yes. maybe with, just like Robotron should, should, should have been. But okay. Number 10. Zarlor Mercenary for the Lynx. So this is the top Lynx game on the list. This may be one of the first Lynx games we bought, and also an incredible shooter. Very difficult to play because you need to press both fire buttons, and both fire buttons, the way that Lynx was set up, were very hard to press at the same time. Um, but if Atari had released Xenon 2, that would have been on this list as well. This and Xenon 2 are two of my top, top-down scrolling games, you know, ever. Um, it's really well done. It's really interesting game to play. Lots of varied enemies and levels. The only real, I mean, I guess they have Raiden. Did you say Raiden is on the Lynx? Raiden well? is okay. on, I know maybe on the Lynx, it's, but I know it's on this Jaguar. So it's on probably the Jaguar yeah. and the Lynx. I'm not sure. I guess I can look it up really quick. But Zarlar Mercenary is a great Lynx, probably the best Lynx game. The one I spent the most time playing and the one I would still want to play now if I could easily press both fire buttons. So the Lynx did have a version of Raiden. Playing this, Zarlar Mercenary was a game where I would have to put my head down and just press both those buttons at the same time and try and move out of the way. And it was a handbreaker, but it was the greatest handbreaker I had played. Now let's admit that these games, I think, were all made by Epics too. So the Rygar... Sure, Atari Zarlar put Mercenary. it out there. This is under Atari's uh, label. 
Gates is in a con. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. these are probably epic games, sure. But still, they own. Um, so That's the fine. next one is just a fantastic game. This should include both the first and second versions, Gauntlet and Gauntlet Two by Atari Games. This um, is for the arcade game. For the arcade so, version, I would say that this game has is one of those games that has the lore that is lived on. Yeah. Um, same with Paperboy. Was Paperboy on, on our list or did it drop off? Or, yeah. No, Paperboy was number sixty-nine. Yeah, it was. Um, it was an honorable mention. Paperboy. Right. This game, Paperboy and Food Fight, to me are the ones that the the coin-up games that are part of Atari's best legacy. But um, although Paperboy is incredibly hard. Gauntlet really did live on. So the Atari APX had a game called Dandy Dungeon, which was close to this. Yeah, technically it was the same game as Dark, Dark Chambers. Chambers. Yeah. So it's it's a, the but the pedigree of Gauntlet goes back to the Atari Program Exchange, which right. is interesting. But it's a great game, and you know Blue Wizard is about to die, or, or Blue you know, Wizard needs food. Red, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just there's this is one of Atari's legacy games for real, and it actually did live on, although it's owned again, by Warner Brothers now, because it's an Atari games game and not an Atari game. Right. But still, great game. So great, the next one oh, no. is... Number eight. ...was created by, a not, by not even by the company that did the original, uh, created by GCC, uh, Miss Pac-Man, for the... And it, but it's not the arcade version. The Atari VCS, the Atari 400, 800, 700, and 5200 versions of Miss Pac-Man are all incredible. Yeah, it's just I'll say the VCS one, kind of like you said with Stargate. I mean, this was a this was a system saver. Yeah. Should have been, right? I mean, nothing was gonna save the VCS from from being an arcade piece of hardware, but it was at least a game that should have come out. And Pac-Man came out because it obviously could have been done and it wasn't. But it is great. Miss Pac-Man, I loved Miss Pac-Man. Great game to play. And the seventeen hundred version does not let you down either. It is incredible. So number seven. Yeah. So we, we did, we talked about Tempest and uh, Tempest 2000. Well, we talked about Tempest in our hard, hardcore games, but let's just talk about Tempest 2000 a little bit because, because that is an actual Atari game that came out on the Jaguar and for the PC from Atari. I don't what, do you know what it's called? The Atari PC software. The At thing the time, that just, I just, I forget what they called it. It was Atari soft, but it might be something else. And then it was Atari soft, but it was a, like Atari, PC games or Atari software or something. It doesn't matter. It's its another thing that should have lived on. Uh, just owning Tempest 2000. You could have just done Atari as Tempest 2000 into the future. I mean, there, there are companies that live on lesser games yeah, into the future and do stuff. This was a franchise that should have kept going. It should have morphed into other things, but what a great game. Jeff Minter created, um, you know, Tempest game, and he's gone on to do more of that. But we had a whole episode about that, so we'll just go on to the next one. Which we, we also had a whole, oh, it's a, almost a whole episode about food so fights. Season 2, Episode 1, number 6 is the game from Season 2, Episode 1, which is Food Fight for the Atari. It's an inter- we had an interview with the developer of the arcade and version. We did talk go. about the 700 version. This is probably my favorite single screen game of all time. Yes, and so let's, let's move on to the next one, which is Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong for the Atari 8-bit. And then a really, really special mention of the 7800 version where the sounds are okay. It sounds okay to me. Um, they're not exactly as good as the 8-bit ones, but it only has three levels, but those three levels are incredible looking. 
and the the 800 version it should be noted does have all four levels and it's incredible looking too and it but. look i remember this is this is such a good the, the atari 8-bit donkey kong i must have played forever i could do that level three the one with the bouncing things i knew every pixel that you could stand on <laughs> to get it done those those skills do not translate to the arcade unfortunately but um, they don't translate into real life either for anything. no and who who worked who wrote this one the 800 version he also he had a website for a while Landon Dyer it's Landon Dyer and he had his own website which I don't know if it exists anymore he had a blog where he wrote but it was, yeah a blog it was really good for a long time he was cool yeah and he was one of the guys that stayed on working at Atari after Tramiel took over and worked on what'd you say he worked on the ST operating system. Yeah, yes. He used to have a great website. It might still be out there, but um, he wrote a bunch of stories about programming that version of Donkey Kong that are really cool. You can find out there on the Interbond. Okay, number four is Yar's Revenge, which we also talked about a couple episodes ago in our hardcore um, episode. So we'll just Incredible. leave it at that and get to the top three. Okay, number so, three. I don't know how this all got there, but I'm glad it did. So number three is a combination combat air sea battle canyon bomber for the Atari VCS. I'll explain also the arcade. Sure. These are all versions of games that I played in the arcade with you before there were other games to play. Yes, even canyon bomber. But I want to explain the combat air sea battle canyon bomber in particular are here because of their box art. Because when we went and played the VCS for the first time at our friend's house, we were like eight years old. And laying in front of us were all those amazing gatefold boxes yes. that had the cartridges inside, which is the writing on them. But the boxes had this beautiful artwork on them. And they depicted these amazing scenes of battles and things, all three of these. To me, those images were what we were playing right. when those Atari Playfield graphics were filling the screen, you know, the two sprites and the stuff. Your imagination, you didn't need the graphics and your imagination took those leaps and that's what you're doing. And and that's another vertical blank quality that I think, it doesn't make me sad that kids today can't do it. It's just something that is that I think makes the era very interesting and cool for us was we had to make that mental leap between what was on the screen and what was on the box. And that area in between that's between the lines, between what's on the screen and what's on the box. And that's kind of that area, that's the vertical blank that we live in, you know, that we talk about living, but we talk about it and where the memories live is that space, you know, if that space actually exists and it's so hard to define. But, but, you know, when you go play like Skyrim on the PlayStation 4 now, it's like you're in another world. I never even saw the box. I downloaded it um, digitally. You know, I don't know what the artwork is that was for the game. Um, it, you know, it's just, I guess it's some black thing with a symbol. It doesn't matter. There's no mental leap at all. It's all just in front of your face. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually really cool. But I think the mental leap that we made, that's what keeps us here in this space, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Okay, number two, Breakout and Super Breakout. I played Breakout for the first time at the same time as Airsea Battle combat and canyon bomber no it was actually a few months later oh okay yeah so the breakout came out that carrie got it a couple months later because i remember we were at her birthday she got it for her birthday mm. we went to her birthday party and she had breakout and i sat and played it for hours and in her room because it was amazing i think we should throw arknoid on here too and because Ar Arknoid's, but atari make arknoid atari, no, but they, oh but, but atari put out version Ar well see this is the thing 
I have it down here on the ST. Atari. That's what I'm saying. We should throw Arknoid on it. Oh, okay, because they released Arknoid 2 Revenge of Dove for the ST, so that that goes up to number two now. Yeah, kind of. But like you said, Super Breakout should have been a version of Breakout where there are a bunch of different levels. Right. You know, why why couldn't you beat the progressive level and then go back to the original level or have the cavity level? Um, There's no reason. Why couldn't you get a special weapon and then get do Breakthrough where you just go all the way through? There's so many things that Breakout had that weren't done the way that later games would be done. But if they were, it could have been a bigger game. This was definitely a franchise that Atari created that they never kept going in any reasonable way. They did, there were a couple, there's like the Hasbro version of Breakout and stuff they tried to do in 3D and whatever. But another franchise that should have lived on and didn't. And it is definitely uh, one of my number one or two games, especially Especially Super Breakout, especially that progressive level of Super Break Breakout. I, I, I sometimes I, I dream about that. Yeah, one. progressive Super Breakout is one of the greatest games ever made. Let's go to number one, which is Asteroids. The and asteroids in our first season, the Asteroids coin op. In our first season, we had two full episodes about the Asteroids coin op. We did. Two but f- just to summarize, Asteroids is the game that you and I escaped to go play. Right. And, and we would, you know, we were about 10 years old, maybe 11, 10 or 11. I think we we're probably, let me see, I don't know. Either the summer before junior high or the summer, but between fourth and fifth grade, we, we would walk up around that time, but probably within that whole year Yeah. between those two. We would walk up to the liquor store and to the grocery store that was out a mile away, and we would play Asteroids all the time. Uh, we had it down. We would play the game. We then then we'd use our money to buy a pie and a, and a can of Cragmont soda and walk home. Chocolate pies um, for ten cents. Yeah, and Cragmont soda was seven, and an Astros game was a quart was a quarter. And this is like origin story style stuff. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know origin story of what because you know. But my my point is is like this is heady. This is halcyon days. Heady um, heady vertical blank origin story. Yeah, you don't have to. You know, these are these are days with no responsibilities except getting up to the grocery store, slipping your quarter in, maybe finding some returnable bottles along the way. Put your quarters in. Try to get a high score. Try try to get into the zone. Get snack and walk home and try to avoid. Try to avoid uh, all the bullies along the way. All yep. the, the older kids and the bullies along the way. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, Asteroids represents probably you know, the most definitive version of the vertical blank itself. It's good that we end with on that list as number one. And on that note, we are actually ending the first part of season three right now. Hey, Jeff, are you happy with your the top I 50? I am ones? happy with the top 50. I'm happy the way it worked out because it seems to have done a nice cross segment of all of the games that I've played across all these platforms by Atari. And then Atari actually put out some of the versions of the games that I like. So they get honorable mentions for the ST games and for the XEGS ones that they re-put out. They knew what the best games were for these systems. And they put well, it out. Someone so did. So, someone did, right? So, I mean, you get, so you get a Blue Max. They didn't make it, but they put it out on the XCGS. You get an Arkanoid 2 Revenge of Doe. They didn't make it, but they put it out on the ST and the STE Discovery Packs. So those are great. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, that was, I think that's interesting. The next time we do a top 50 list, it will be top list, not 50. It will probably be 100. It will be um, 
games on any Atari platform, any game on an Atari platform. Well, we might want to go platform by platform because then at that point, I've been doing so much research into each of these platforms, especially the computer platforms. I found many games across these platforms that I never even knew about. And I want to do it. I want to do it for both the Jaguar and Lynx also. I want to research the other platforms more because I never played every single game or on all of them. And that's really difficult to do. So let's, we have a little bit of news. And I just want to start out with some updates to our episodes that we've already done this year. So we'll start out with Dan Kitchen. Well, first, let's start out. Um, Pac-Man still sucks. So we'll just go right there. Um, I actually played uh, the 2600 version of Pac-Man to try and eke out some fun from it. And I did. But compared to what I was seeing on the Atari 800 at the time or any other system, Pac-Man is just a dreary bore. Even the game that came out, even if there was no game called Pac-Man, I wouldn't really have liked this game. No, I just I think I mean I mean we'll say Pac-Man sucks, Miss Pac-Man great. And that's that's you know kind of how that works. Just like rename sucks, Stargate great. Um yes. that sort of thing. Yeah. Dan Kitchen, he keeps releasing his game's not out yet, Gold Rush, but he keeps releasing the Gold Rush Gazettes on his website, and they are little fake newspapers that have clues to what the game is gonna gonna be. Very Activision like. People should go check it out at DanKitchenGames.com. And then uh, Steve Golson emailed us from GCC. We had a two-part, you know, the last two-part episode with his interview. He said that he was interviewed for the High Score series on Netflix. And that he said, watch it because he was interviewed about Miss Pac-Man as well. And it launches on August 18th. So, oh, wow. Um, also, my friend who works, whose wife works at Netflix, has seen the High Score documentary series and says it's fantastic. And he's a huge Atari fan, so they actually, he's a huge Jaguar fan. So it's, it's interesting great. that um, he's so, the one who got the ja- the mouse. He got he got yeah. the Jag he got the, yeah, the ST mouse. He's, Jason, he's the one who showed us the 3D viewer for the Vectrex at our birthday oh, party, yes, and it was obviously. fucking amazing. That's awesome. The 3D viewer for the Vectrex is incre- incredible. I can't believe. I mean, it's weird, but it's incredible. Uh, other updates: Atari's biggest mistake is still not releasing Candy 1979. The XM module for Kurt, Kurt Vendel is still in the works. It's been people have been testing it, but it's still not out yet, and people want to see it. But it's it's coming soon. Westworld sucked. And the other thing is, on Mother's Day, we did a an episode where we talked about going to HW Computers with our mom. She found out that HW Computers was actually Hobby World Computers, based in the San Fernando Valley. And so we got a little bit more information about HW Computers. Still want to figure out what happened to them. And that doesn't matter to anybody except for us. But um, <laughs> now I know what the HW stood for. Hobby World. Yeah, right. we found that. I have some homebrew updates. Uh, just some recent updates for across uh, some of the systems. So yesterday, two videos appeared. One of them by Atari Tekka showing the second Bruce Lee game called Return of Fury. It's on the Uh Commodore 64, but they're making an Atari 8-bit version, and it looks awesome. And then another one out of nowhere was Yamo's Revenge, which is the green guy from Bruce Lee is Yamo. Oh, yes, I remember. It's basically a Super Mario Brothers game, and it's great. It's done so well. And they didn't try to push too much stuff on the screen at once, 
but it's clean enough to look like it was on the NES or the Sega Master System without a lot of visual hiccups. Like it just is clean and it looks good. Oh, cool. It's very, I love it. So far what I've seen, I haven't been able to play it yet. Then Albert at Atari Age showed off the box for Zookeeper. And I looked around for a new video of Zookeeper. And still the best video of it is a zero page homebrew video that's up and I'll put a link in the show notes to it. It is a really, really well done 2600 game by Champ Games. So same people that have done the best games for the 2600 in homebrew. Didn't I see something about Gorf from Champ Games too? Well, I have not seen that yet. I'll have to look it up. I saw something online about Gorf for if Gorf, uh, the if they get the if they get the Galaxian part of Gorf and they've kicked butt. But yeah. still the best version of this game is on Zero Page Homebrew and I'll put a link into it. And the thing about it is you have to record Champ Games games at 60 frames per second and output them correctly so they show. If you don't right. in your video, you're only going to see half the things at once because what right. they do is they use all 60 frames a second, but they know you're watching it on a TV or game system that only plays them at 30 frames a second or 29.65 or whatever it is. So each individual frame shows different content. So when it's all mixed together on a 2600, it looks fantastic and you get extra sprites, extra colors, but they're doing it between the frames. Yeah. so you you have to actually they're using the vertical blank anyway you actually have to yes, um, record it that way so the best recordings of their games are at zero page homebrew right now because they figured it out I saw something where they had figured out how to do it yeah, and cool. then lastly is a game for the Atari ST it's coming up for the Amiga and the Genesis also or the Mega Drive it's called Verse World Icarus and right now there's a demo and a video of the Amiga version out there and it's a 3D shooter almost like voxels or something it looks really good but so far there's only an Amiga demo and I downloaded the demo trying to get it on to an Amiga emulator which I have but I have not been able to get it to work yet so I'm going to try and drag that over to the best Amiga emulator I have is on the SD card that I bought new for my RetroPie, and I need to drop it on there, and then you have to log in with a keyboard and mouse and change all the settings and then run it to try to get it to work because that's the only way really to get Amiga ST and Atari 8-bit emulators to work properly, and Commodore 64 emulators to work properly on a, uh, a RetroPie is to actually go and change the emulator settings directly, not rely on oh, the, yeah. the interface. So let's talk about a little bit about our shift in focus. Uh, we're going to do a slight shift in focus for the podcast, not entirely, but I think we're going to start focusing towards uh, retro game development, homebrew game. Well, our own retro game development, in the yes, sense. Our, along uh, with stories. Our, yeah, but uh, but along with with stuff. But I think it's more like a shift in focus towards like now we've sort of explored the the vertical blank from the consumer side, and and I think we've sort of discovered the things that frustrated us and and that we learned about Atari, but actually frustrated us. And there's still more, but I think we've, we've delved into that a lot. And I think the top 50 games helped us kind of put a capper on the best games and stuff. Not that we aren't going to talk about it more, but I think that gives us a good, a good point to, to kind of start something new. I'm working on 7800 Homebrew right now, a game called Into the Void, which is a side-scroller. I finally announced it on Atari Age, which means I have to do it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I and have not done I, I worked yet. on some 
some tests to see how many sprites I could get on the screen. So there, there's a video up to show how many sprites we can get on the screen. I got some advice to pull a couple other little tricks to get more sprites on the screen. And, and I can, there's a way to seemingly get 84 sprites per zone, which really in effect can't happen because there's not enough time to put them on the screen. You, and then you have to use double buffering to get a lot to show up. But there's, there's ways to get lots of sprites on the screen, lots of colorful sprites. And so the next step is to start building content for a side-scrolling shoot shooter. And I have the basis of it. And what I'm going to need to do now is to start cranking on making a game that people will want to play and enjoy with explosions and stuff you shoot and blow up and extra weapons and all that stuff. So that's what I'm working on. How about you? Well, I have been looking at how to target the ST and especially the STE. So I've started with GFA Basic, which compiles to an incredibly fast version of this its object code is incredibly fast so it's like it's almost as i mean it's pretty much when they time it it's as fast as assembly language but i could not for the life of me get it to do anything i wanted to so i looked at mage which was an engine that was done by some guys in in the in the 90s especially one of the guys that it was dave muncie and they built some games and they the games are relatively slow when you play them in the interface but i compiled one of them and it runs pretty well I've been able to get a better performance just using plugins for Stoss that strip away a lot of Stoss does and, and use pre-rolled sprites and things like that. So pre-rolling means an ST can only position things at easily horizontally every 16 pixels. And it has to do with the way the memory is allocated. But vertically, it can push any pixel you want. And that's why horizontal scrolling is always a little bit weird on the ST. You have to do a lot of tricks to get it to work properly or look well, look good. But this does it differently. This takes all the horizontal positions and pre-renders things to each of the 16 spots. So, so when you want to move something, it knows which version of the sprite to show. So it uses a lot of extra memory. So I'm trying that first. It's the missing link plugin. But... A lot of these plugins, there's no real good documentation for them. There's a little bit. I can't say there's no real good. There's a stosscoders.com has a great tutorial in it. But there's no videos. There's nothing that shows you what to do. There's nothing that really has like a working version. So I'm making those and trying to get them up so I can get some things done on what can you actually do with these. And oh, that's cool. what can you show? So right now I, I have a pretty good working demo of plain old missing link extension, replacing sprites with about 26 moving sprites that work pretty well. And of course, Stoss can only show 15 at the most. And then I'm now I'm working on a couple other versions with this, and then I'm gonna start working with the Blitter extension. Because, no, because I need to get it, I need, I'm not, I'm gonna be targeting the STE no matter what I do, or the ST with a Blitter. The reason is, you really, you're not going to get anything good out there, even that matches the 7800 speed, unless you really start targeting the hardware that was meant for games. And so I personally, because I'm going to use Stoss as sort of the shell to target all of these, because it's it's easy, the language is easy to, to use, and it actually is, let's just say it's self-contained and allows you to do things. Stoss is not a game builder by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a drag and drop game builder. People said, here's a Stoss game. They'll look the same. They don't. It's not shoot them up construction kit. It's actually just a language that has a bunch of built-in stuff. And you need to actually remove the built-in stuff and use it as a well-defined system to start targeting 
the optimized versions of things that are out there. So I'm using Stoss as a way to build the stuff. That way I, I don't get bogged down with why isn't this C code working? What, what happened here? People have actually got this to work. So that's where I am. And so far I have some pretty good examples and I'm going to get a video up there soon. I need to get the Blitter examples working before I put a video up that shows what to do. And then I'm going to start working on some small game samples before I can do anything close to trying to mimic what you're doing on the 7800. That was optimized. Well, I don't want, you're not going to mimic it, but I know what you, what the plan is, is I'm making into the void. It's into the vertical blank, into the void part one. And on the 7800, and you're going to make into the void into the vertical point part two on the ST. So, to actually play part the part two parts of the game, you need to play it on different platforms, right? And right. I think I know, I think your game is going to be an asteroid like shooter. Well, I'm I, you get into the void, and then you need to blast yourself out of it. I, I, but I don't know. My first demo of this may be an asteroids game because it lets me figure out how to how to use all the different things that are parts of the system. But I don't know if my into the void is going to be an asteroids game. My into void part two. I'll see. Right. I need to. I'm gonna. I need to work on a bunch of stuff before I get to Into the Void Part 2. Really. But the point is, we're making a two-part game right now, one part on the 7800, one part on the ST. Right, right. And, and I plan eventually to, on the ST, to have a version that works with sampled sounds and pretty decent graphics and, and uh, movement. But on the STE is where you're going to be able to get the, the, the quality, quality version because it's going to be allow for full stereo sampled sound, eight channels at once um lots of lots of blitter movement and then possibly the blitter scrolling to make a scrolling uh, play field so i would be making almost my next 4k in, in a sense which is a flash game i made on the st in a sense that's enough of that you have you you know in our interim time the next episode i think comes in september right and yes. I think you, what is that the, um, that was that just a full about? interview with Thomas Cherry Holmes and I about what would just arrived for me, Atari FujiNet, which is, and he, a little bit of a discussion about the friendly orange glow and what Plato really was, but that's just an interview. There's more cool. to do on that, which is going to be research and using the, uh, the Atari FujiNet, but I haven't got there yet. The FujiNet is actually expanded well beyond what our discussion was. It's all out there and you can buy one now. But the next episode is just me condensing that interview down and talking to Thomas all about it because it's a fantastic thing. And I don't need to go into any more research than what's in our interview. So that's the next one that's gonna come out and that is going to be in September. I don't have a plan for what's gonna happen after that. Possibly, quite possibly, we'll start doing about our games after that. Yeah, we'll see. So anyway, what a long episode this was. I hope people enjoyed all the stuff we did in the lockdown. We're still in lockdown, kind of. Yeah. But, um, but I hope, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we're going to continue what we're doing. We're just doing slightly different and different focus because we've kind of, we, we want to keep it fresh and keep, doing, keep moving forward and doing different stuff and discovering why we even talk about the vertical blank. So let's go out with a new song by Tony Longworth called 8-Bit Wonderland. Cool, okay. All right, well that sounds good. Oh, Into okay. the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank, Steve. Into the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank. Into, 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 into also, the vertical blank. If you listen a little bit after Tony's song, there's a little treat. No. 
in the middle of, of the uh, <laughs> the little treat in the middle of the uh, the outro song. Yeah, uh, treat is a good word for it. <laughs> Treat's a word for it, right? It's a little, it's a little. We'll call it an Easter egg that you may not have. It's not little a eighties. It's not eighties Easter egg. It's not a Cadbury <laughs> egg, though. <laughs> Might be a rotten egg. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. It's like an Easter egg. It's like an Easter egg you find like a year later. Later, right? <laughs> it's an Easter egg you find that you may not have wanted to find. Exactly. Okay. Cool. All right. Okay. Talk to you later. Into the Virgo Black. You take the bad, you take, you them, take both, them both, and there you have, have the facts, facts of life. life. The, the facts, facts of life. life. There's a that. time you gotta go and show you're growing now, you know about facts, facts of life. Facts of life. life. There's a. Um, oh my god, what's the next one? I know it. Oh. It's like there's a world out there that yeah, I and a 2D and a Dolly and a Mrs. Garrett oh, and, and a Blair Into the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank, yeah, fine.
into the vertical blank. Next frame calculated, prepare to write new data, V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.